there's no way I can be a catalyst as an introvert. Like those things don't come together. This isn't me. I had a persona in mind, someone I visualized. This is what someone who brings change into the world looks like. And I didn't fit that image. Fast forward to today, it's very clear that yes, I am the catalyst. But it took me quite a while to get to that point where in my gut that resonated and felt right. Like a lot of people that I have witnessed and when they come into contact with the word and the concept of catalyst, it's almost this deep sigh of relief. Just that moment alone is life-changing because you feel seen in a way that you have never been seen before. A catalyst is the people around us that see so much opportunity to make the world better and they feel driven to action to do it. I'm Shannon Lucas. I'm Tracy Lovejoy. To celebrate the launch of our book, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burnout, we're launching this podcast featuring interviews with the catalysts who are featured in the book. Please subscribe now to get the next episodes as they're released this fall. To connect with other catalysts like you, come join our global community at galaxy.catalystconstellations.com. Hi, I'm Shannon Lucas, co-CEO of Catalyst Constellations, and I'm so thrilled today to have time with Chelsea Glasson, researcher and catalyst at Facebook, formerly at Google. Chelsea is focused on building workplace that's inclusive of parents and women, and she's one of the amazing catalysts featured in my new book, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burnout. Thanks for being here today with me, Chelsea. Thank you for having me, Shannon. So let's start with, when did you first realize that you worked differently from people around you? Was there an aha moment? There were all of these things that were happening, all of these small moments where I felt this tension. So I can give you one example. I will never forget this moment. Years ago, I worked for a startup called Udacity. I was the first user researcher at the company, conducted a round of great impactful research, and I came back to the team and I shared, look guys, we're heading down the wrong path with our strategy. This is the direction we need to be heading in. And there was a lot of enthusiasm in the room. What I brought to the table was definitely received, but there were a few individuals that had this strong negative reaction. And I looked at them and I could tell that they felt that I was coming to the table and I was questioning them. Like they took it very personally. And then years and years passed and I continued to have all of these moments of this friction that I couldn't articulate. And it finally got to the point where that friction had a heavy weight on my energy. I was experiencing burnout at a cadence that was more frequent than usual. And then I reached out to Tracy your partner in crime. This was even before the two of you were using the word catalyst. I was like, Tracy, something isn't right here. There's this tension that follows me everywhere and it's really playing its toll on me. I need to figure this out, help me out. And then I went to the retreat, discovered that there is this group of people, catalysts. Um, I got that vocabulary and then the light bulbs really started going off. I was like, okay, this makes sense. Now it's all coming together. It's interesting, and one of the reasons we loved highlighting you, there were so many reasons, but one of the reasons that we loved highlighting you in the book is because we definitely see you as a catalyst early in your journey. I think there was some tension for you as you were looking around at what other catalysts were doing and like, do I really own this? Is this really me? Sure. For me, when I first heard catalyst, right, that's a big 
word. And it was presented when I went to your retreat. I think it was your very first retreat for Catalyst. And I remember looking around the room with those who were attending alongside with me. And there was someone writing a book. There were a few people running companies, a few CEOs, and others doing these amazing, world-changing things. And I just remember reflecting on myself. I was like, I'm just a user researcher. I don't have my own company. I'm, I don't feel like I'm changing the world for millions of people. So what does this mean? Am I a catalyst? I don't know. And then secondary to that, I am very much an introvert. And I think I, I felt looking around the room and just reflecting on what the word catalyst meant to me. I really felt, oh, if you're a catalyst, this means you have this big, gregarious, outspoken personality. I'm so opposite of that there's no way I can be a catalyst as an introvert. Like those things don't come together. This isn't me. Fast forward to today, it's very clear that yes, I am a catalyst, but it took me quite a while to get to that point where in my gut that resonated and felt right. And I loved the moment because actually you weren't the only person at that retreat to sort of bring that question to the table. And it was a great opportunity for us to just have people like sort of raise their hands. It was pretty powerful to see that. It was also this moment for me to sit down, really do some deep reflecting and thinking about all of these assumptions that we bring to the table and that all of these things that I thought, well, this is what being a change maker is. I had a persona in mind, someone I visualized. This is what someone who brings change into the world looks like. And I didn't fit that image. And so when I was in the room and I saw all of those people raise their hands, I was like, oh, these are my people. I am like these. I'm just in a different stage of my life and that's okay. So what have you learned about yourself and how you operate since learning what it means to be a catalyst? Oh boy, have I learned a lot, Shannon. And I'm so excited to have this conversation that I wrote a few notes. Awesome. So there are three things that have been especially impactful for me in terms of what I've learned in realizing that I'm a catalyst. For one, I have these incredible energy cycles and this is contributing to that friction that I talked about that I didn't understand for a long time. And I even remember before I understood what was happening years ago, when I worked at Salesforce, I had this boss, Scott, and he would look at me. He's like, Chelsea, you're so confusing because, you know, I'll see you one day and you'll have this crazy energy and you're on fire. And then a month will pass and I notice that you're retreating and you're a little bit quiet and you're finding these corners in the office. And I just feel like you're a little bit less present. Like what's going on? Help me understand this. And I didn't understand it. So I couldn't you know, bring him along for the ride. But what I know now is that I have these moments of powerful charge where I'm taking action, I'm leaning in, there's idea after idea. And I tend to bring a lot of impact in those moments. And they'll last for like a month or two, but then I'll get into the stage these phases can last for a few months where I really, I have to retreat. And this is where my introversion really comes forward. I have to have solo time. I have to be quiet. I have to calm it down and I have to recharge. And if I don't have those moments for recharge, some really funny things start to happen. So energy cycles, right? That's part of being a catalyst. That's one learning. It's very much core to how catalysts work, right? The second learning, we've already touched upon this a bit, right? The way I present myself to the world as a catalyst brings friction. And that's really uncomfortable for me. I think in part because I'm a woman and I was taught growing up, as so many women are taught, right? You want to please everyone. 
you don't want to cause friction, conflict. So instinctually, I try to avoid that, but it's impossible to be a catalyst and to influence change and not have that friction. Not everyone is comfortable with change. And some people take change that you bring to the table and you're advocating for very personally, as those coworkers did who were in the room with me years ago in Udacity. So friction is a very part of the experience. And then the third piece that we've touched upon, like you can be a catalyst and be an introvert. Your personality doesn't have anything to do with being a catalyst, right? It's really how you operate, what gets you going, and that pursuit for change. When you're in these phases of burnout or approaching them, how do you take care of yourself? So I used to be really good at this in terms of the self-care. Before the word catalyst was in my vocabulary, I started doing things intuitively to take care of myself and to calm down that energy so I could get in that moment of my cycle where I could recharge. So endurance activity for me is important. I have two young kids now. Before having kids, I got into triathlons. I did a lot of road cycling. I did a lot of backpacking. I climbed Mount Rainier. This is a partially attached to my being an introvert and a catalyst. Whereas an introvert, I live in my head. And as a catalyst, I constantly have these ideas and I'm connecting the dots. There's this whole process in my brain, but I don't get it out through a lot of extroverts, through talking and through social interaction. I have to have something physical to force it out of my body and my being. So it's really those endurance activities. But since having kids, I have not been taking that time for self-care and I'm four years into being a mom and I feel it weighing on me heavily. I've had all of these epiphanies, these moments of self-reflection where I'm realizing, wow, not taking care of myself, not having time for those activities is not only impacting me as a catalyst, but it's also impacting my ability to be present for my children. And that is really bothering me. So starting this week, I already have an action plan to start to bring in some of those endurance physical activities into my schedule. So I'm getting that energy out of my body and out of my brain. Good for you. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) You're an inspiration. I think it's really hard those first years for all parents full stop. Yeah. It's particularly hard for catalysts given the cycles of burnout that are just sort of endemic to who we are. And now we have this pandemic on top of that. Um, So what advice would you give to catalyst parents about how to navigate creating the change that they're trying to drive while still taking care of themselves? And I think it's a great framing. Like we usually talk about getting catalysts on board with rejuvenation activities so that they can be more effective change agents. But being a better parent is not a bad motivation either. So what advice would you give to? Yeah, it's so hard. I've gotten a lot of advice as a parent over these past six, seven months of the pandemic. And it's easy to say, you just need to make time for yourself. Like you have to, you absolutely have to prioritize giving yourself an hour to whatever you need to get on a bike, to go for a walk, you know, whatever that activity is that recharges you and gives you that time to process. It's easy to say that. It's really, really hard to actually implement it. And all I can say is I had this moment for me, Shannon, I'm going to share. It was a very vulnerable moment, it bothers me a lot, where in March, 
you know, as COVID-19 was spreading and awareness was growing, I realized, okay, playgrounds are shutting down. We need to buy a trampoline. We need to buy a playhouse, you know, things for my kids to do in the backyard. So we have this trampoline and my son loves it. And there was this moment where he was jumping. He's like, mom, come jump with me. I get in the trampoline with him and I'm sitting down and my husband pulls out the phone and he took a video. And later in the day, like in the evenings, I usually scroll through the photos and videos we take of these family moments. And I looked at the video, Shannon, and I just cried. I was sitting on the trampoline, Soren, my son is jumping, and I'm completely in my head, not present in the moment. I'm looking in another direction. He's talking to me. He's desperate for my attention. He's like, mom, mom, mom. And I'm gone. I'm in my head and I'm processing, right? That was that moment where I realized I'm not being present for my children. I'm not being the mom that I want to be because I'm not giving myself this time. And so just automatically my brain in these moments goes back to, I'm going to retreat and I'm going to start to process because that's so important for me as a catalyst to have those moments to process and connect the dots. And if I'm not explicitly giving myself that time, it's going to happen unconsciously. So I don't know that I have any good advice outside of that you have to prioritize making that time, but I recognize it's easy to say Doing it right now when parents have a million things going on, especially in the midst of a pandemic, is hard. So maybe actually the the one thing that I'm really bad at as a mom and as a woman is asking for help. And I have gotten to the point where I am speaking up and I'm asking for help so that I can have the time and those moments to get out and go for a run and to get on my bike so that I'm getting that processing out. Nice. That is such an important moment and epiphany. And I also would just add, which I wish for you, myself, and everyone, especially the parents right now, is the self-compassion. Because people yeah. are going to come and say to you, well, this is how you do it. And it's like, that's easy to say. But it's, it's so just, easy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also just the self-compassion. Like, hey, I failed at that this week. But your kids at some point will, if you're well-intentioned, will know you're also doing your best. So, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so your story is super exciting, and we know that as catalysts move quickly, almost all of the stories in the book that we captured are already out of date, so we would love to get an update from you about what you've been up to since we interviewed you for the book. Yeah, so I've had an interesting journey into becoming a parent where it does feel like there has been one hurdle after another. And as a catalyst, as I'm going through these hurdles, as I'm talking to other moms and other parents and realizing, oh my gosh, other people are experiencing these hurdles too. I cannot do something with that information, right? I have to take that and I have to change the landscape to do something to help eliminate these hurdles for parents and for women. So one project that I've been working on on the side separate from my day job at Facebook, is building a platform called Crusade. It's the name of the company, to connect women and parents to this amazing support network of personal coaching support and services. Because I have learned through my journey that there is this incredibly diverse ecosystem of personal coaching offerings, many of which are specific to women and the unique kind of challenges that we experience. But there aren't these channels making it easy to connect offerings to women who are needing support. So I've been working on this on the side and we're about two weeks shy of launching our MVP site, which will be mycrusade.com. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> nice. 
It's, I just have to say, I got a sneak peek, everyone, and it's freaking amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, And do you want to give us an update on what happened with the work that you were doing around pregnancy discrimination in the workplace? Because I think you had some pretty significant wins there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, long story short, with my second pregnancy, I went through this incredibly challenging year and a half of fighting pregnancy discrimination and a lot of learnings there. And this is very much connected to my work with Crusade around these hurdles and these challenges that it just blew my mind that these things existed and were happening to women everywhere. And one thing kind of stepping back with those learnings years ago, prior to becoming a user researcher, I was a public policy analyst. So working in politics and legislation is my first home in terms of my career And one thing that I learned is, oh my God, it's incredibly hard to fight pregnancy discrimination because there are these really small windows for taking action. So for example, if you want to report pregnancy discrimination to the EEOC, which is kind of the federal route for taking action, you have six months after an act of discrimination to file a report. For a lot of states, there are various organizations that you can report to, and it's often the case that you also only have six months. But when you're a mom, you're pregnant, and (laughs) you've had a baby, and you're nursing, maybe you had a complicated pregnancy like I did, maybe you were in the hospital like I was for weeks on end. There are a lot of things that are happening in those six months. Those six months go by in a heartbeat. It's not enough time to take action. So one of the things that I did coming out of my story, I worked with a state legislator, Karen Kaiser, on introducing a bill to extend that window of opportunity to a full year in Washington state for reporting pregnancy discrimination. The bill passed. It's now law. (laughs) Women have more time, thankfully, to report. You know, this is all connected, Shannon, to my being a catalyst. Like, this is an example of, like, I saw this injustice. I connected the dots kind of using my background as a researcher, uh, formerly as a, a public policy analyst. And I saw this opportunity for change. And it was, it's like physical, like I had to take action. I could feel it in my bones. I had to do something about this. But it also caused a lot of friction along the way, right? Because it, it required me speaking out. It was uncomfortable. But I've learned to become okay with that part of the process. Well, for all women, I just want to say thank you. And just to be clear, Chelsea went from not being sure she was a catalyst to changing state laws to make it better for women in the workplace. (laughs) So what's maybe one broader piece of advice that you want to give to catalysts? So I've done a lot of reflecting around this friction, right? It really is something that's been very uncomfortable for me for years. And part of it is just this acceptance of this comes with being a catalyst. That friction will always be there. But also there must be some things that I can do to alleviate some of that friction. And I think that one thing that I do as a catalyst, I immediately jump to five steps ahead, right? To the solution, that end goal. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with that, right? A lot of people want to go through all of the steps. They want to be taken along the ride, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But I think that I have learned that that's one thing that I can do um, to help alleviate some of that friction is to really be mindful, like, okay, Chelsea, am I bringing people along with me as I get to that one thing that's further out? So bring people along the ride with you as a catalyst. Don't just assume that they're going to be okay with you jumping in five steps ahead. It's such an important one. And it's easy to forget, even when you've learned that that's true, it's so easy to get caught up in the swirl. So I think that's really great advice to remind catalysts. Yeah. This is interesting and it's probably related to what you just said, but you can take this anywhere you want. What do you want non-catalysts to know about working with catalysts? Yeah. So I've worked long enough now that I've had some bosses who naturally are great managers of catalysts. And then I've had managers who really struggle with having catalysts who are reports. And the one piece of advice coming out of that is to not micromanage a catalyst. That is just not going to work. There's going to be friction. There's going to be butting of heads, right? Because as a catalyst, I'm thinking five steps ahead. And when someone tries to micromanage me, they're trying to pull me back to the moment in these smaller decisions. And I'm going to feel like you're stopping my process and also cutting off that source of energy for my work. So the managers who are a bit better at managing catalysts, they approach us and our conversations. It's more about coaching. Let me ask questions that are going to kind of unpack that vision that you're driving towards. And then the managers who I've worked with really well, it's kind of like this partnership. Like we're now aligned in terms of where you're heading those five steps ahead. But now let's work together. Let's strategize on how we can bring the team to that spot with you. Is there anything that you would want to say to your colleagues, maybe not your bosses, but your colleagues about how to work better with Catalyst? Going back to that story years ago, you'd asked me where some of my colleagues got defensive. I think the assumption was that I was in that room to kind of personally attack them and their ideas, right? So I would just say, assume good intent and just know when I'm in the room, And I'm throwing out these ideas and that might mean that I'm suggesting or saying, hey, your idea might not be the best fit here. It's not that I'm trying to be competitive with you. It's not that I'm trying to dominate the conversation. This is just my mode of operating. This is me trying to get us to the place that we need to be as a team. And if you feel otherwise, like, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation about it after the meeting. It's a super important lesson and something we talk about to Catalyst too uh, in reverse, which is also assume good intent on the other side. And it's like, if we could all just show up that way, wouldn't it be better? (laughs) Given the very sad passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I just wanted to share a quote that was related to what you were saying earlier. And she said, and she was, in my opinion, I think we get to claim her as a catalyst for change. And she said, fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. There There are a lot of emotions that come with passing of RBG. One thing that I didn't do for a long time So I work in user experience. User experience is chock full of catalysts, right? And just like at the retreat in my work world, I've so often looked around and thought to myself, wow, I'm not like these people. I'm not a maker. I'm not a doer. I'm not a change agent. And I absolutely am. But because of that, there was a lot of imposter syndrome. And so I closed off, right? Fast forward to today, I've learned, and I had to learn through my journey with pregnancy discrimination. It's such a personal thing to happen. And fighting it, you have to talk about what happened to you. And I've learned that such an important piece of bringing people along the ride with you is being vulnerable. And it is okay to open up 
and to share whatever, whether it be insecurities, whether it be a very personal journey, that's the way as a catalyst that you are going to bring people along the ride with you. So it's okay to be vulnerable. Brought tears to my eyes, Chelsea. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for all the amazing change you have already created in the world and will continue to change. It's so lovely to chat with you again. Thank you for all of your great work. Just having the vocabulary, being able to say catalyst and understand what that means has been huge for helping me understand myself, how I work. And then to be able to communicate, share that with other people so that I can bring them along with me and eliminate some of that friction that was so confusing to me for such a long time. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in joining our global Catalyst movement, you can learn more at our website at catalystconstellations.com. And be sure to check out our book, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burn Out, The Catalyst Guide to Working Well. If you've got some other catalysts in your life, hit the share button and send a link their way. Thanks again.